This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. Morning. Happy New Year. My family and I uh, have been hoping since we moved here for a a white Christmas. Uh, We haven't gotten one yet. We had a white Halloween. Now we've had a white New Year's, so maybe next year we'll get our white Christmas. Uh, This year we were talking about New Year's resolutions with the kids. Just kind of curious to see, you know, what, how they would respond to something like that. And, you know, we asked if they wanted to make any New Year's resolutions. Uh, my wife and I went first to sort of show them, you know, what is a New Year's resolution. And, you know, we're kind of saying the standard things like, you know, we, this year we want to, you know, eat less sugar or, you know, go to bed earlier. And so my kids took those ideas and then said the opposite. So their resolutions were then to eat more sugar and go to bed later. I don't think they really understood exactly what we were getting at. Um, And then it sort of degraded into making New Year's resolutions for each other, what you should be doing this year that could better yourself. So um, it was a bit of a parenting fail, but uh, it just, it made me think about how it's interesting that we, we kind of like this idea of making these resolutions, um, even though we know we're probably not going to keep them or keep them all. And I was, I was thinking, you know, why? Why is it so appealing, this idea of a, a fresh year, a new start, um, to, to kind of think about what we would like to be in that new year? Um, I think that there's there's something in us that wants to envision a more fuller version of ourselves, a, a better us, someone that we're more comfortable with or, or maybe more proud of. And in, in the New Year's resolution, we see that kind of come out. What are our priorities for ourselves? What do we want to change? Um, and really what that starts to reveal is, is what are my ideals? What are my values uh, sometimes they're kind of, you know, cliche. Sometimes they're sort of, you know, just fleshly things, but things that we want to change. Sometimes they're spiritual things that we want to change about ourselves. But what we want to be is, is usually influenced by the culture that we live in, uh, by the, the people and ideas that we interact with every day, the, the things that we see in others or the things that we, we recognize uh, within our culture that, that move us, those are the things that influence, influence us and those are things that, that make us want to be, to be different, to be more like this or less like that. And so our, our culture is full of influences. And there are a lot of things in this world uh, that will pull us away from Christ. A lot of empty, deceitful types of philosophies. And then there are truths within the word that will move us closer to Christ, being in Christ. And in our passage this morning, Paul is encouraging the Colossians about who they 
are and where they should remain in Christ and, and how that's possible and why that's the only place that they should be. And so we're going to pick it up in Colossians 2, uh, verse 8, but I'm going to start in verse 6 just to give us a little more context. Colossians 2, verse 6. Paul says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for a new year. We pray, Father, that you would uh, open our hearts as we uh, dive into your word this morning. I pray that you would encourage us, um, convict us, and help us to see the the beauty of what it means to live a life in Christ. And we lift up this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So just to do a, a quick recap, because we haven't been in Colossians for a while, uh, Paul is speaking to a church that he has not been to, he hasn't visited. The gospel came to this, this church uh, through Epaphras. And Epaphras has given Paul a report. And so Paul is writing this letter to encourage the believers there uh, to help them to be, to be firm in their faith. And these are mostly pagan background believers. So they're, they're Gentiles who have come to faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And so there's, there's a lot of things that they would be learning that would be new to them versus a, a Jew who would be coming to Christ. So uh, these are pagan background believers. Paul's, he's greeted them. He's, he's given them encouragement so far in the letter, uh, validating the message that they have heard uh, because it came through someone who wasn't uh, in a, an apostle an acknowledged apostle like Paul in the church or Peter or someone. So Paul's saying the message you heard was uh, legitimate. Um, it was authentic. It is the message that saves. And he's also told them that he's praying for them. He's, in, he's tried to encourage them through uh, describing how he prays for them, for their growth and maturity. 
And beginning in verse 14 of chapter 1, he's given them this sort of theological sketch of the exalted Christ, who Jesus is, the, the fullness of God in Christ. And so he's, be, he's laying this foundation for them. And in chapter 2, verse 6, he begins now to instruct them. So that's how the letter's been laid out so far. And there's, there's a phrase that begins to arise starting in verse 14 of chapter 1 that's important. And it's, it's repeated consistently uh, throughout this section. And what Paul continues to, to speak of is this idea of in Christ. And you'll see in 14, verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, for by or in him, all things are created. In him, all things hold together. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then in chapter two, continuing, he says, therefore, walk in him, rooted and built up in him. In him, the whole fullness of, of deity dwells. You have been filled in him. And he's triumphed over uh, the, 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 elem, the authorities in him. So you see that repetition of the phrase in him because Paul, he's, he's seeking to show them where the fullness of life is, where everything good dwells, and that's in Christ. Because in Christ is where the the covenant now lies. Jesus has become, in, in essence, um, the, the person of God. Israel was the people of God where the covenant was sort of contained. You had to become an Israelite in order to experience God's mercy and grace. And so in Israel, there was access to the temple, to God's presence, uh, to the law, which maintained that covenant. But what we see, especially in the Gospels, is how Jesus essentially becomes the fullness of what Israel was intended to be. And, and Jesus becomes, in, in essence, the new Israel in the, in the sense that the covenant is now in Christ. You have to be not in Israel to experience God's mercy and salvation, you have to be in Christ. And we see that specifically in Matthew as he begins his gospel and he describes Jesus as a, as a young child coming out of Egypt. And we see the, the phrase, out of Egypt, I called my son, which was a, a description of, of Israel in the prophets, but now being applied to Christ. And we see the 40 days in the wilderness, sort of that wilderness experience, Israel, 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus, however, overcomes temptation. He's perfect. And so those are just a couple examples to help us sort of understand theologically what's happening when we speak of in Christ, because that is now where all of the promises of God come to fulfillment in Christ. So the covenant is there. These Gentiles, these pagan background believers would be sort of learning all of this kind of new and, and fresh, trying to understand 
what it means to be part of the people of God. Because from their understanding it, those who were part of the people of Yahweh were the Jews. And now Jesus, this Messiah, has come. And some of these Jews now believe that, that Jesus is the way that you have access to God. And other Jews believe that, no, you still must be in essence, an Israelite by performing all of the the rites and rituals of the law, the Mosaic law, in order to be connected to God. And so they would be hearing competing things because at this time in the church, there's division between these Judaizers. So those who wanted to have Jesus and the law, and then there's those who are saying no, like Paul the law is fulfilled in Christ. You must be in Christ. And then there's the Jews who reject Jesus. So you can understand the confusion for these Gentiles coming to this new faith, something that um, is very different from what they practiced as pagans. So what we see in this, this letter, especially getting into chapter two and the second half of chapter two is, is Paul is trying to, to show them that all of the promises are fulfilled in Christ. All of the, the law, all of the, the regulations are things that Jesus has fulfilled. And so he's, he speaks later in chapter two, don't allow anyone to, to judge you on feasts and festivals and, and days, Sabbaths, those kind of things, because he's saying you're full in Christ. And so that's kind of to give us some context this passage, what we see is, is Paul is continuing the exhortation in verse 8 that he started in verse 6. So he gives the command, walk in Christ as you've received Jesus, walk in him. That's the first sort of imperative that we have in the, in the letter. And then in 2.8, he expands on that with a warning. So walk in Christ and Watch out for anyone who might seek to pull you away from Christ, draw you out of Christ with, this de- with a deceptive philosophy. And Paul is probably referring specifically to the Judaizers who are saying, no, you also need these things to be part of God's people. You can't be part of God's people and not keep the feasts and the festivals and the, the Sabbaths and all of that. And so Paul, he follows up in the rest of uh, 2, 9 through 15 by explaining how the fullness is found in Christ, the fullness of God, the fullness of all of our experience, all of our needs are met in Christ because we share in Christ's life through what he's accomplished in us. So that's kind of our outline for the passage. So let's start in, chapter, in verse 8. He says, See that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So this phrase, see that, that no one takes you captive, uh, the Greek is kind of awkward. It says, see that no one will be the one who takes you captive or is your captor. So it puts the focus actually on a, on a person or an individual who's bringing the deception. 
And again, Paul was probably had, Paul probably had someone specific in mind because he's, he's warning them against some very specific types of empty philosophies. And, and so the reality is that ideas, false ideas exist, and oftentimes we may not be impacted by them until the right person presents them to us. So as, as vulnerable as we might be to something false, which we, all, we must watch out for, we're more vulnerable to how that is presented sometimes by certain people or in a certain context. And I mean, it's, it's kind of funny because my wife and I were just talking about how, you know, she might tell me something or I might tell her something and yet we might not really, you know, fully agree until we hear it from maybe someone else in a different context. And then we're like, yeah, you know, I just heard this. It's great. And it's like, that's what I've been telling you. And so just as a kind of silly example, how the way something might be presented or by whom it's presented can be more effective in certain times. So Paul's saying, be careful of, of not only the ideas, but of the very person or the type of person who will bring these, these false philosophies, empty philosophies to you that could draw you away from Christ. Because that's what the enemy seeks to do, is he seeks to pull us away from Christ, to, to disconnect us from the vine, to, to tell us that, that you might be able to get some of what you need from Jesus, but certainly not all of it. You certainly can't get every. Isn't that the lie from the garden? Because Satan tells her, well, you know, didn't God say like, you know, this, the fruit, but if you eat of the fruit, that won't you have a little more? Won't you be a little better off? I mean, do you really have everything you need if you don't eat of this? And so I think that's the same lie he's perpetuating today. And so this idea, empty philosophy and empty deceit, the, the terms kind of go together. It's, I, I would, I think as the NET translates, empty deceitful philosophy is the idea. Uh, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ, a philosophy that is not according to Christ, a way of thinking. And so human traditions clearly points to the, the, the law, the, that word is used um, by Jesus in the gospels, speaking of the traditions. Um, that's what we see in the, in the second half of chapter two, that trying to draw them away from Christ. And this idea of, of deceitful, I mean, we understand that word, but the reality is that I think we often give ourselves more credit than is due us in, in assuming that we would never be swayed by something, you know, deceitful that would pull us away from Christ. I mean, we know the truth, but deceit is can be so packaged in a way that it looks so close to truth that if you're not paying attention and if you're caught off guard by the one presenting it to you, whether through, um, you know, television or social media, if you're not on guard, if you're not watching, 
that it can seem so much like truth that we are vulnerable to it because it's deceitful. And yet, in the end, it's empty. But the reality of that is that it's a promise or it's an idea that for all kind of logical, practical reasons, unless you look really close, it seems good. And so we have to be careful. He says, watch out. You're in Christ, but watch out. The one who might carry you off as captive, it's a military turn term. It's, it's sort of like when you go in and you, you take um, spoil from the enemy. And that's what Satan sees us as. He wants to take us as spoil out of, away from Christ. That's his goal. Steal, kill, and destroy. And, and so if we're walking in Christ then what we should begin to realize is that everything we need, all of the fullness is in Christ. In verse 9 and 10, it says, for in him, the whole fullness of deity or godness dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So we, we see now Paul bringing that theological assertion from verse 14 of chapter 1, or that, that whole hymn there, uh, 15 through 20, into a, a practical application. So, so we're like, okay, so the fullness of God is in Christ. Well, okay, you know, we should know that, right? But why? What's important about it? Well, because then if you are in Christ, you experience the fullness of who God is. Faith in Christ means that we get all of the goodness of God. And there's nothing else that we need. He says, you've been filled in him, who's the head of all rule and authority. And so when we come to know and experience Christ, that's everything that we need to be filled we don't need anything else outside of Christ. That's something that has to kind of sink in. And he says he's the head of all rule and authority. Most interpreters see this as, as speaking of sort of the spiritual realm, the things in the spiritual realm, especially because the Colossians having a pagan background were very spiritual. There was lots of deities. There was, there was lots of those who needed to be appeased or sacrificed to. And, and Paul's saying, Jesus is over all of those things. He's the head. You don't, you don't need to appease any other spirit or, or God, lowercase g, because everything is in Christ. And, you know, we won't be vulnerable to that kind of, to empty philosophies when we're fulfilled in Christ. The only reason that something false is attractive to us is when we are experiencing lack or when we're, we're hungry, when we're not being filled by the authentic in Christ. So, I mean, it's, Imagine if you, you know, we've just had the holidays, we've had a lot of good food, 
um, a lot of good desserts. Imagine after Christmas dinner, Thanksgiving, you know, you've, you've had your favorite homemade dessert, um, whatever that might be, you know, some kind of cake or pie. Uh, for me, uh, you know, I love creme brulee, um, get it like maybe once a year. But imagine you've just eaten your fill of that homemade, fresh, good dessert. And then someone walks in the door with um, like a box of Twinkies or Ho-Hos or do those still even exist? I don't know. Um, and you're going to be like, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, no thanks. You know, I'm, I'm full, right? I've just had the good, the authentic. And if you like Twinkies, you know, that's, that's totally fine. It's not a sin. Um, just go with me on this. So, you know, th- those things, like most of those ingredients aren't even food, right? That, but so if you're full, that's not going to be appealing to you. But, you know, there's those times, right, when you've been maybe driving on the road, um, you know, it's been a long time, you stop for some gas, you forgot to bring snacks, you go into the gas station, and, you know, there's the, like, hostess display, and, oh, Twinkies, you know, oh, that looks so good, I just got to eat one right now, because, you know, you're empty, you're hungry, and, and so you're... Culinary discretion is suspect at that point, right? And so it's sort of the same way when we're not filled in Christ, something that's not even really food, something that's empty can seem good. It can seem tasty. And then, right, you open up, you go to your car and you open up the package and you're like, oh, you know, stuffing your face. And, um, and then, you know, and then you feel that like, oh, like, why did I eat that? You know, it's, it's just that like that, you know, remorse because your body is like, what are you putting in me? You know, that, so it's, it's sort of the same way when we, when we, if we truly know Christ, and we're pulled away by something, it's going to seem empty. You're going to wish, ah, I, why did I even go for that? It wasn't worth it. And so when we, when we lack nourishment, the nourishment from the true vine, when we're not connected, then we're vulnerable. So Paul's encouragement is, hey, everything you need is in Christ. Remain in him, walk in him, be with Jesus, and you'll be full. And then he gives us a couple reasons why. In verse 11, verse 11 through 15, he says, that fullness that you experience in Christ is the life that Christ offers because of what he's done in you, not because of what you have done, which is what the Judaizers or those who are speaking these false philosophies are saying, you need to do this, you need to do that in order to be part of God's people, in order to connect with God. And Paul's saying, no, it's because of what Jesus has done in you. And so we see a couple examples here, starting with circumcision, 
In verse 11, he says, in him, in Christ, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So in the old covenant, the covenant of Israel, to be in Israel, all males had to be circumcised, which conveyed that they were part of God's people. So it's, it's in Christ that has now, Paul's giving us a spiritual picture of kind of, of how to translate that as a believer in Christ. He says, you've been, you've been circumcised without hands, a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of the body of the flesh, the circumcision of Christ. So in Christ, our old man, our old person, the flesh is cut off. The power of the flesh is cut off in Christ. And like he says in Romans 2, Paul says in verse 28, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter. This is a theme that we see kind of throughout some of Paul's epistles. Circumcision is of the heart. So it's not about what you did circumcising yourself in a sense. It's Christ's spiritual circumcision in you. So the mark of the old covenant has been, has become something fulfilled in Christ, a spiritual cutting away of the flesh. And in verse 12, he moves from an old covenant example to now actually a new covenant example, baptism. And he says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So this is a current practice in the church, but Paul also now connects it to what God has done, which is how we should understand baptism is it's, it's symbolizing our being raised from the grave, being, being buried with Christ, put down under the water, raised up is, is an act that shows what Jesus has done in us. renewed, raised us to life, given us newness of life in Christ. So it's, it's not you going and getting baptized. It's in essence, what God has done in you that is being visualized in the baptism. So pointing again to in Christ in verse 13, he starts to kind of bring it together. And he says, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So death, baptism, uncircumcision, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So all of those demands that are being made upon the Colossians by these Judaizers, Paul is saying, Jesus, he wiped out that record. He, he wiped it out. He nailed it to the cross. Christ took the punishment for it. 
And in doing that, he became victorious. It says he disarmed rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So he ends again with that phrase, rulers and authorities. And as, as Pastor Adam mentioned last week, that that is a, a picture of military victory. Jesus triumphing over the spiritual forces, showing these Colossians who their worldview was previously this idea that there's all of these spiritual authorities and you have to make sure that you don't um, get the wrong one mad at you and that you're able to appease the right ones in order to live a, a fulfilling life. You have to keep all of these, these gods, in a sense, happy. And so Paul is saying, no, it's only Jesus. Jesus is the head of all of that. He, again, he was the creator of all things. He's helping this theology of Christ, of the exalted Christ, to flow down into their, their practical everyday lives. Jesus is head of all authority. Everything that you need is in him. That's what makes you fulfilled. That's where your righteousness comes from, not through the, the legal demands of the law. All of those things have been nailed to the, Christ, to, the, to the cross in Christ. So in Christ and only in Christ are we complete. We're filled with all the fullness, with the fullness of all that God is. Everything that God is, is available in Jesus. And we experience that. We have all of that in Christ. So if you're not finding fullness in your walk with Christ, that probably means that you're being tugged away by something empty. There, there's some kind of idea, something that someone has told you or something that you've heard or something that you've seen that is a deceitful philosophy that's, that's pulling you away. It, it's, it's telling you you need something else besides what's in Jesus. Everything that's in Jesus is the, the, the fullness of the fruit of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all of those things contained in Christ, who is the true vine, who produces those things in us. So when we're connected to that, we experience the fullness of it. So my encouragement for us this year, Paul's encouragement, is to watch out, to be aware, to recognize if we feel like something's missing in our lives, it's probably not um, something that we need to fix by making a resolution of some sort. Um, it's probably not something that we can experience or be fulfilled by changing a habit or that kind of thing. It's something that's in Christ. Everything you need is in Christ. So remain in him, remain connected to the vine, connected to Jesus and experience the fullness and the goodness of God uh, this year. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that everything good is in you and that you've given us full access to all that, we've, that we need in Christ. 
And Father, if there is something that is pulling us away, something that is, is making us feel a little empty or a little needy in some way, I pray that we would, we would recognize what it is, what kind of lie or false philosophy that we're believing and that we would reject it and pull clo- ourselves close to you, draw close to you. And we thank you for your grace and your, your goodness and your mercy. And we lift up this year and we praise you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.